Today we're in the third chapter of the book of Ruth. And we'll start in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Okay. Naomi is trying to seek security for Ruth. Is she an investment planner? What kind of security is Naomi doing? She's trying to secure Ruth's future through marriage. And that that was the only way that they were stable in this time period. If you were a widower, you had to rely on charity. And what we're going to see in the next couple of verses is reference to the law of kinsmanship. And that's back in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10 is where we learn of that. When brothers live together, okay, a family unit, a clan, um, a tribe, When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall be married, excuse me, has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as a wife and to perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of the dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out from Israel. Okay, you have to remember that the inheritance was done through the firstborn of the family. And if a family had no male son... Okay, we have two examples in um, the Old Testament of when the land was divided out. There was a man that had two daughters but no sons, and they petitioned Moses and Joshua for an inheritance that their father's name should not be wiped out from Israel. Okay, so... If a man dies and he has a brother and it's his brother's duty to raise a child and name it after that brother so that he would have a a continuation in the heritage of Israel. Okay, if you were a firstborn and your younger brother died, would that first first child off of his wife be yours to pass on your inheritance? No. 
So if you were a firstborn and you were obligated to, to take your brother's wife to continue his lineage, okay, that first son that you had and that would be you'd be so proud of that it was your son, your lineage, it's robbed from you. And we're going to see that coming about in the this uh, third chapter of, of Ruth. Okay, continuing on in um, chapter 25 of Deuteronomy, but if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brother in Israel. He is not willing to perform the duties of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come up to him in the sight of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face, and she shall declare, Thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. Okay, so there was a stigma of guilt and shame if the individual did not carry it on. Okay, so we're back in the chapter 3 of Ruth. And now is not Boaz your kinsman with whose maids you were? Okay, Naomi is saying to Ruth, you remember Boaz, he is a kinsman. He may be husband material. Okay. And you remember him? He was the one that, you know, you were out in the field with? Yeah, she remembers who Boaz is. Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Okay, winnowing barley, winnowing grain. Okay, this is back. This is back before they had combines and threshing machines, and so they would cut the grain. They would flail it, literally beat the the little grain off the ears, and so you'd have chaff, the straw, and the the hulls and everything. And then they would take it, throw it in the air with like pitchforks. Okay, hopefully the breeze will blow it off, all the chaff and stuff off. The grain would fall because it's heavier. They'd scoop it up and there were several different ways. They'd put it in big baskets, you know, real shallow and throw that in the air and catch it in the basket and the wind would blow the chaff away. In ancient Egypt, on the the hieroglyphics, they have pictures of people winnowing with shovels, like on each hand, throwing it up in the air type of thing, depicting the life in times of this. Okay, well, let's go take a look why at night. Bethlehem was built on a ridge. 
and there was only this ridge ran north to northeast and Bethlehem was on that side of the ridge and there was another spot that went higher but most of it uh, descended and so what would happen at night during the temperature inversion hot summer day or fall day cools off at night what happens you have winds that come up the the sides of the ravine and so they can th- they can winnow okay they can clean the grain and it's cooler for them they have a stronger wind and so it's more productive and naomi says that they're winnowing the barley at the threshing floor tonight it may be that she just kept track of the um, season of the routine it, but the threshing and the winnowing would be a big occasion because it was a, the accumulation of the harvest and it would tell whether or not you were successful okay in verse 3 she says wash yourself therefore and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor but but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking okay she's advising Ruth this is the way you're going to have to do it what was associated with women at the thr- uh, threshing floor at night were they virtuous women most of them weren't okay why would they go to the threshing floor well after a day's work the people are paid we have examples of this all the way through uh even in the new testament where a man sends his son to the vineyard and he goes out and gets help at the what first hour of the day and they agree to it and then at noon and then in the third hour and then all that and they're all paid the same in reference to the kingdom of heaven okay but they're paid daily if you didn't pay your help you wouldn't have any help okay and there are situations where there are uh, ladies that take advantage of men and get their money and so this is why Ruth is told not to let herself be known and it shall be that when he lies down verse 4 that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down then he will tell you what you shall do and she said to her all that you say i will do we'll get into uncovering the feet in just a moment so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her when boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came secretly and uncovered his feet okay the heap of grain evidently was a successful harvest 
why would the owner of the grain spend the night there at the threshing floor? They're guarding it. This is, this is their harvest. This is their livelihood. This is their source of income. And the owners are guarding it. Why wouldn't he have a hired hand? Well, he'd have to pay the hired hand. Okay, what's said about a, sh- a shepherd when it's not a sheep? Is he going to go against the lion or the bear? No. He's not, he doesn't have a vested interest in it. So here we see the culture of this time period that the owners would spend the night at the threshing floor with their grain. Okay, where it says when he, he ate and he drank and was merry, was he drunk? No. Can you protect something if you are intoxicated and don't have control of your facilities? No. But he was merry. He was content. You can just imagine Boaz, you know, the last of the workers have gone. He's walking through the threshing floor where all this grain is. He's looking at what was winnowed, what is to be winnowed. And saying, and you can feel the moisture in grain. Yeah, this is just right. It's going to keep a long time. So, as a farmer, you're you're proud of being able to harvest the grains. So Boaz is content with the progress of the day. He lays down, and Ruth uncovers his feet. Anybody ever sleep and their feet get uncovered? What happens? You wake up, right? Your feet get cold. But think of what Naomi told her, told Ruth to do. Uncover his feet and then lay at his feet. And we're going to see what happens. In verse 8, And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. Okay. He wakes up. He realizes his feet are uncovered, but they're warm. There is something going on. And it's interesting, in the grammar of that verse, it says the man. It doesn't say Boaz. And so this is, if you dig into it, it's referencing back to the old style of writing during this time period that they would use the uh, sex of the individual in the term of a the man, the woman, okay, rather than the name, just to indicate who it was doing it. And they didn't feel it was important to specify. They just said Boaz had laid down, and now, oh, Boaz, you know, gets startled awake. They didn't see the need of doing that. They just said the man startled. Okay, 
And he said, Who are you? Verse 9, and she said, she answered, I am Ruth, your maid, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Spread your covering. Some versions will say spread your wings or wing over me. Okay. She is calling on the Jewish tradition, the Jewish commandment, of kinsmen, kinsmanship. She's saying, Boaz, you're a kinsman, you're a near kinsman, do your duty. Protect me, take care of me. Verse 10, then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. What was the first blessing that she did? What was the first thing that got her into the Jewish tradition? She married Emelech. Okay, you got to remember back in chapter 1 that they went to Moab and the father and the sons died. And she stayed with Ruth. Ruth tried sending her back to her family, but she said, no, what? What did she say? Where you go, I will go. Your God is my God, and where you die, I will die. She was that committed to the to the uh, Jewish faith, to the Jewish tradition, to the Jewish family that Naomi represented, and that her sons. So, as a mother, had she taught her her children, her boys, well? Yeah. How much influence do we have each and every day? Little or a lot? You walk up, you're at an office somewhere, and you get introduced. And you look at that individual and say, I think I know you. Yeah, I do know you. But where's it from? Then all of a sudden, Sunday at services. That's the brother or sister that you haven't talked to in a few weeks. And what do you do? I need to talk to them. Okay, but what about the people you, this is the first time that you meet. Are you an influence? Yes. Okay, so... uh, Sorry, I I digressed, but... Okay, in verse 10, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after the young men, whether poor or rich. Okay, the second blessing is she's following the Jewish faith and the Jewish tradition of 
near kinsmen. Okay? And is Boaz honored? Yes. Okay. Well, how old is Boaz? You ever stop and think about that? Because when they come back and Ruth, or excuse me, Naomi starts talking about Boaz, she immediately says he's a near kinsman. And what is known of Boaz in the first two chapters? He's a wealthy man. He's a respected man. He is an older man. Okay, and he's saying here that, Ruth, you're blessed because you're coming to me, an older man. How old? How much older? Could probably could have been her dad, or at least a an uncle. Okay, and there's that much of an age difference. And he says, "You didn't chase the young, the young men, whether rich or poor." Okay, you. Verse eleven. And now my daughter, my daughter, again showing the difference in age, do not fear, I will do for you whatever you ask. Okay, is he going to do everything she asked or everything she implied as near kinsmen? He has to go and get this ball started. Could she go before the city elders, as it said in Deuteronomy? Not really. She wasn't a Jew. Okay? So the Jewish law didn't really affect her. But she's willing to live under it, so she's... So Boaz is going to do it for her. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Okay, some versions say my people in the gate or of the gate. And what happened in the gates of the city? It was the center of commerce. As far as when people came, merchants came into a city, they had to get a permit to sell or pay a tax or a tariff or whatever you want to call it. They, it was the, regu- the trade regulation of the day. And so the elders of the city, the important people, would be there. And Boaz is saying, my people in the city... So he's well-established in the business world. They know who he is. But they know that you are a woman of excellence. Okay. And this here, a woman of excellence, is the same verbiage as in chapter 31 of Proverbs, 
a virtuous woman. Okay? So he's referring to her as a virtuous woman. What does it say in Proverbs? What? She considers land, she buys it. She directs her household. She's a manufacturer of, of belts. Sells it in the market. Okay? Is this the, the typical thing that we look at of a Middle Eastern woman? A subservient woman? No, she's a woman of power. Okay, so he's comparing her to that woman of power. In verse 12, And now it is true, I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Okay, Boaz. What have we learned about Boaz? Was he a firstborn of his family? It doesn't say. But does it say anything about his children? No. Does it say anything about his family responsibility? No. So from this, we can draw some conclusions that he probably wasn't the firstborn, so he didn't have inheritance. So he was a self-made man in the sense that God prospered him into his riches, into his position. Because he didn't inherit that. Okay, and he's willing to sacrifice the, the birthright, the first birthright of the family to carry on Naomi's husband's bloodline. Verse 13, Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. Why didn't he want her to get up and go? It's dark out. It's the middle of the night. It's the darkest of the night. Okay. Would there be other people out and about in the middle of the night? Could be. Because it doesn't say if it was a communal threshing floor and that there's more than one family using it or what. But he's saying, telling her to wait until morning, till it's almost light. So she lay, verse 14, so she lay at his feet until morning and rose before anyone could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman, who is the woman, Ruth, okay, came to the threshing floor. He's protecting her honor, her dignity. Okay? He's having her leave before you can recognize it. If somebody saw a woman leaving his threshing floor, oh, scandalous, there was a prostitute there with him. Okay? So he's honorable in the sense that 
he doesn't even want to have that possibility be known. In verse 15, again he said, Give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it, and he measured six measures of barley and and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. Six measures of barley. Well, a hand scoop, a bushel, a 55-gallon drum. What was the measure? It doesn't say. Okay, there's uh, a measure that's about, I forget, a, a six of a, a bushel. Okay, so that would be, if it was a six and it was six measures, it would be a, a bushel of barley. Well, how much does a bushel of grain weigh? About 35 to 40, 50 pounds, depending on how wet it is. Okay, but then they talk of some measures of a third of a bushel. So that could be as much as 75 pounds of grain that he gave her. Does it matter what it is? No. It was a, a bent, uh, plentiful measurement okay, because it says he set it on her. She didn't pick it up. She didn't put it over her shoulder. He set it on her. In the Middle East, where did, how did women carry tremendous weights on their head? Yeah. So it could be as much as 75 pounds that she's carrying on her head back to Naomi. Okay, uh, as a side note, uh, years ago, my dad went on a mission trip to what was then the Gold Coast of Africa. And it was a, sea, a seaside town, and he said the men would take the outboard motors, okay, for their boat to go out into the ocean, and would be carrying it on their head, balancing it on their head, walking down to their boat and back from their boat every night. Pretty strong. And can we just... Uh, let's just grab a 15-horse motor. Yeah, how about a 40-horse motor? You know, or something big enough to go out in the ocean with. So, yes, years and years of conditioning, years and years of practice, but up to 75 pounds on her head. Okay? That's a lot of grain. And, but here's the interesting part. And when she came to, verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law and said, uh, she said, 
Okay, this is Naomi saying to Ruth, How did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. And he said, There are six measures of barley he gave me. For he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law's empty-handed. When she was gleaning the fields, how much grain would she bring back? We don't know. But we do know that Boaz told the harvesters to leave grain for her, to leave the, the, the shocks of grain so that she could thresh the grain off of the stalks and then take it back. And he even told her, told them to pull, pull it out of the shocks so that she would have extra grain. And the wide corners of the uh, harvest fields so that they had extra grain. Okay, he was a generous man. Was, did he have feelings for Ruth? Already. Yeah, he knew who she was. He knew she was a widow. She knew, he knew she was taking care of Naomi. Okay? And through it all, everybody in town knew what was happening. Okay, why do you think he gave such a bountiful amount of grain to Ruth for Naomi. You ever, you ever see a couple of older folks, and you may be in that category, where you're sitting and talking and there's a younger person in, in between or, or, you know, is there talking with you, and you just happen to say something that you know the older person would catch, but the younger person, it'd be clean over their head. And you look over and you wink at the older individual. Yeah. So, Ruth is here. Look what Boaz did for you. And Naomi is there. Boaz knows exactly what happened. That I sent her there. That, yeah. She, Naomi was the inspiration for the near kinsman, okay, would Ruth have known about it? Not unless she was taught. Would she have been taught in the land of Moab when they were still, she was still married to uh, Naomi's son? No, not necessarily, okay, but probably not because they were newlyweds. It said, how, how long had they been married? I believe it was after 10 years that um, the brothers started dying. Okay, and so Naomi, from the acceptance of the grain, understands that Boaz knows what was happening 
and understands the goodness of the situation. And then we have verse 18. Then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. Or some versions say, don't be anxious. Be patient. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. The man will not rest. Boaz will not rest. How can Naomi be so confident as to what is going to happen? Boaz is a man of God. He follows the traditions of the Jewish faith. Okay, he is known as a fair and just individual. Okay, so a challenge had she presented Naomi presented a challenge through Ruth to Boaz. It's time this has gotten settled. Okay? So next week we're going to see what happens. And Scott'll be able to to bring this on uh to a to a conclusion. But it's it's always interesting in, in studying these uh, stories, these, this history. Okay, so Bethlehem is on a ridge. Okay, and let's see. There's something about a star in the sky and the shepherds. Okay. What would make Bethlehem easy to see to the shepherds in the night? It's setting on a ridge. Okay. We always picture Bethlehem and all the Middle East is, you know, flat. It's not. It's very hilly. And even to the point of it being considered mountainous in areas. Like when we were doing... Um, Joshua and the battles and how they went up to one or down to another and in Judges same thing in Jesus time telling of the people going down to Jericho and the Good Samaritan okay we have to look, keep these things in mind so that we are familiar with the land and the area that Christ is in, lived in, Jesus grew up in, that he preached in, okay, and all of the things that they dealt with, so we have a good understanding of what is actually being said. Okay, um, well... Thank you very much, and next week, Scott, we'll finish the chapter and read between the lines. It's a lot of fun. <laughs>